morning. Okay, you can talk. Good morning. Glad you're here. My name's Jack. Uh, one of the things we forgot to mention, uh, so Fudd asked me if I could say it really fast. Uh, if it's your first time here with us, first off, I want to say glad that you're here. Um, there is under your seat a connection card. If you are interested in getting more information about Remedy, we will not spam you or show up at your door at 11 o'clock at night or anything weird like that. But if you'd like a little more information about Remedy, we'd love to be able to connect with you. So if you could just get that and you can put it in the offering bowl when it comes by later. Um, Glad that you are here. We are in the middle of a series right now, kind of a mission and vision casting series. Um, Last week, Fudd spent some time looking at the way that we understand and take time to do life in community as groups together of people who gather uh, throughout the week in homes to Uh, come together and encourage each other, speak the gospel to each other, uh, but then also do mission here in the city. And what we said is that uh, in in the past, we've had more of a shotgun approach, more of the idea of each of our community groups find somewhere to do mission, somewhere to serve others and be the uh, a gospel-centered people and live the gospel. Um, and what we said now is what we're going to do is we want to take that instead of uh, less of a shotgun approach, just uh, just as many different places as we can, and kind of focus that down to more of a of a rifle approach. We want to be specific. And so what we want to do is we want to impact Winthrop University. And we want to do that in multiple ways, not just students who are there, but faculty, staff, administration, so many multifaceted areas. I don't have time to rehash all of that, so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go and get the podcast. Fudd did an excellent job of helping us to understand not only the significance and meaning of community and the importance of community, but as we cast the vision for our new focus, where we want to go, how we want to go do this, he did a fantastic job with that. So I would encourage you, you can go online, you can get that sermon and listen to it uh, if you missed it last week. All right, so this morning what we want to do is we want to look at the idea of missions. Um, Missions, reaching those who do not know Christ um, outside of the United States. We talked about our our local missions uh, last week. We want to talk about more international missions this week. And, And I want to tell you up front that there's a spotlight in my eyes, so I've got to try to move. That is... I'm going to stand to the side if it's okay, because I'm literally getting blinded over there. Um, um, This is not a sermon that is trying to convince everybody or lay a foundation as to why we should do missions. Um, we have, we've had multiple sermons on that over the past couple of years. And so instead of taking another one and saying, okay, here's why, we've spent some time really digging deep, laying a foundation for that, a hope and a desire for that. So my goal this morning is not really to lay that foundation. My hopes this morning is that what we'll do is we'll take that foundation that we've spent some time building and we'll actually build upon it a little bit that will actually help see, here's where we want to kind of go. Again, trying to take and narrow our focus and see what is it that we as Remedy want to do as we start thinking about international missions. Uh, It's not that we haven't been doing anything, but where are we going to be going forward? So this morning, what I'd like for us to do is I would like for us to look at a passage in the book of Romans. 
the book of Romans. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, under, the, under the chair where you're sitting or under a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please keep it. Um, the book of Romans, there's no shame in looking at the table of contents. If you don't know where it is, that's why they put it there. Uh, Romans chapter 15. It's in the New Testament. A little uh, background on Romans before we jump in. Romans is written by a guy by the name of Paul. He was an apostle. He wrote to a church in Rome. Paul had never been to Rome. He had corresponded with them. He heard about them. He knew about them. He knew people who had been there. He was very familiar with this church. And as you'll see from part of the passage, he had wanted to visit them, but had never made it to Rome. And now he's writing this letter on his kind of to precede him. He's on his way. He's going to be coming to Rome soon. We know from history that Paul eventually did make it to Rome, but this letter he's writing to them. Now, one of the things about the book of Romans, if you know anything about Romans, you probably know that it's probably one of the most weighty theological books in the whole Bible especially in the New Testament, but really in the whole Bible. If there's a book that you were to say, which, Bible, which book of the Bible were to give you the closest to a systematic theology of the Christian faith, it really would be the book of Romans. Paul, Paul just lays out the, uh, the entire idea of justification by faith in Christ as the basis for following Jesus. It's all right there. And so he goes through Romans 1 and 2, all of us are sinners. In Romans 3 as well, we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. God justifies us by faith, Romans 4. And then he goes through and he shows out what does that mean? How does that work? And all of this goes all the way through end of Romans 11, then Romans 12, therefore present your bodies as living sacrifices. And he takes 12 and 13 and 14 and he goes and shows this is what it looks like to be a person who has been justified by faith. This is how, this is what it means. Now, when we get to 15, 15 makes a transition and 15 is the closing of the letter. And what we may be tempted to do is we may be tempted to say, because it's the closing of the letter and it doesn't have the weighty theological matters that are earlier in the book of Romans, we might be tempted to say this part is not important. But one of the commentators I read and I thought was really good says we can't bypass this part. One, it's still scripture. It's still inspired by God for us. So we need it. So it's there. We can't just bypass it. But at the same time, this is still the outplaying of those who have been justified by faith in Christ. So if you are a believer this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, what we're about to read is important for you. That's, that's good news. That's really good news. Sometimes when you get to passages that, that may be a little tough, you're not sure what it, what it really means. Does this really apply to me? Yes, this applies to you. So this morning, I pray that whether you regularly attend Remedy or you're just visiting this morning or you're not even a follower of Jesus, that all of us would be able to look in on this and we would see more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So what I want to do is I want to pray and then we're going to jump into our text. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you have inspired for us that you have guarded through time to ensure that it has no errors. And God, we trust you, and we know that as we dig into this word, you have something for us this morning. So we long to hear that. And God, I pray that we would be a people who are jealous for your name, who love you, who worship you, not just on Sunday mornings, but with our lives. 
And God, I pray that our heart would break over those who don't know you and that you would take this passage and you would move us to even deeper action. We love you and we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Romans 15. I'm going to read verses 14 through 24. Verses 14 through 24, Romans 15. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Three things I'd like for us to look at. I've titled this sermon, A Glorious Ambition. Three things I just want to bring up for us to discuss and think about this morning. First one is this. Local work in believing areas is important. Let me expand on that a little bit. Local work in believing areas is important. Here's what we've got. Paul's closing out this letter, and we might say, okay, he's just kind of transitioning. But he writes that he is satisfied with them. He looks at them and he says, I myself am satisfied about you that you yourselves. Now, that sounds funny to us because we don't, we don't talk like that. The I myself, you yourselves. And this is a Greek way of, of using this Greek grammatical structure that what Paul does is he's being very emphatic. He is, he is saying, I myself am very satisfied with you yourselves. He is communicating to them. This is not just a, okay, this is good. Yeah, you're good people. He's saying, this is something that's deep. I am fully convinced of this. Me, that you have these things. What, is they, what does he have? Well, what I want to see is I want to see this work is done with a couple of things. One, this work is done with a focus. Look what he does. That They are filled with goodness. It says right there, they are full of goodness. Now, the term good is a moral quality. So this is, has the idea that the word of the gospel has taken root and has worked in them a desire to live morally upright. Now, if you've read the book of Romans, you know Paul has said that he's quoted from the Old Testament back in Romans chapter 3, there is none good, no, not one. So what Paul's not doing here is he's looking at them and saying, you're inherently good. There's nothing you need to fix. We know that all of the book of Romans, Paul has said the goodness that's in us comes from trusting in the gospel and Jesus working in us. Ephesians 2.10 
we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What he is saying is he, he has heard so much of their story and so much about them that he understands that the gospel has taken root and their lives are full of goodness, meaning they've trusted the gospel and they are living in obedience to God's word. They're seeking to be morally upright. Secondly, he says that they're filled with knowledge. They were not simply satisfied with saying, I know the small things about Jesus. I know enough to get by. I know enough to answer a few questions. Paul says, not only are you really being obedient, your knowledge is growing deep. And what we find is this was a prayer that Paul had for all the churches that he had founded, all the churches that he'd gone to. His prayer wasn't simply that they would come to Jesus and then get stagnant in their faith have just enough to get out of hell and then be okay. Paul is constantly praying for these churches that they would grow and deepen in their obedience. We see this in Philippians chapter one. He says, and it's my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Then we see in the book of Colossians, he says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul understands that as believers, when we come to the gospel, the gospel doesn't simply bring us to Jesus and then leave us on our own. It brings us to Jesus and then it deepens our knowledge of him and it deepens our obedience to him so that as he comes to Rome, he can say, I see and have heard in you the gospel is there. And it is not something small. It has moved in your heart so that you understand as a response to Jesus. I want to grow in my understanding of you. I want to see you more. I want to understand you more. I want the depths of the things of the gospel to be overwhelming to me, and it will overflow in works that glorify Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so he's looking at them, and he says, man, you're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. And then he says something that, that's the outflow of all of that, the natural result of being a disciple of Jesus, what does he say? And you are able to instruct one another. I've heard it said once before, God, as God gives you something, you're not supposed to be a cul-de-sac, you're supposed to be a conduit. In other words, as God brings these things to you, as they are deepening in their knowledge and they're deepening in their goodness, they're not simply saying, this is something for me to keep to myself. It is something that as God teaches it to me, I then pour it into other people. And what Paul is saying here is these people get it, and it just refreshes his heart. But they weren't at a point where they could just say, okay, so just sit there. Because what does Paul do? He says, well, I've written to you pretty, uh, pretty boldly. He says, and I do this, I'm an apostle. God has given me this, and I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. Never get stagnant. Never do anything that just keeps you on the status quo, that makes you happy with just coming on Sunday mornings or whatever you do. Don't get there. And what Paul does is he sees all this great stuff, and then he tries to take them deeper and boldly. And he says, I want to challenge you. I want to push you. I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you just to stay there. 
That is the hope and the desire, or it should be the hope and the desire of every local body of believers. That we would not stay the same. That we would be full of goodness, full of knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's what it, think back to the Great Commission. When Jesus gives, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He's bringing them into the faith in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. The idea of making a disciple is hearing the word of Jesus, absorbing the word of Jesus, acting upon the word of Jesus, and then part of the commands was to make disciples. So a disciple then makes other disciples. So as I'm growing in my knowledge and I'm growing in my obedience, I'm then turning it around and I'm saying, who can I pour this into? And that's what Paul is saying. You guys, are, you guys have got it. And so I'm going to push you a little bit deeper. And so what he says is he gets all the way down here. We see this work was done in the power of Christ in us, the Spirit amongst them. And then what we see is that Paul kind of makes this transition. He's, he's talked to them about all that they've got. This is the hope of a, a local body, but he's not willing to say it just needs to stay there. Look at what he says. He says uh, in verse 19, he says, By powers and signs of wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Ilicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul is talking about what it is God has called him to do. And if you look at a map, if you were to look at the, the Mediterranean area where the Mediterranean Sea is, you kind of picture it like a big oval. Um, I saw um, one of the commentators like put a map in the commentary uh, because he said, you need to visualize this. Jerusalem, it would be all the way down here on the bottom right, almost as you get to the African area. And then if you follow it all the way around to almost to the other edge of the Roman Empire, right before you get to Rome, you can draw a straight line. It's all the way from the boundaries. What Paul is saying here is everywhere between you and me in Jerusalem, the gospel has gone forth. And that's important because what we find is that those things that Paul had said of the Romans were the very things he was establishing. This is the book of Acts. So as you read the book of Acts, the gospel begins in Jerusalem. And then when you get to Acts 20, you find that Paul is in Macedonia and he's going over to this area where Ilicrum is. And so the book of Acts is Paul's going on a missionary journey and the gospel's going forth and then he goes back and then he goes back and visits the churches and he establishes them. And we find that he's there for a year or two years or sometimes a short period of time and he goes back and he's establishing them. And what he's showing us here is this work wasn't something, well, this is just temporary so I can do something else. This is important. Work here is important. Pouring in to each other, pouring in the gospel is absolutely vital. Believers need to be encouraged, challenged. Churches need to be planted, and they need to be supported. And this is good for us to talk about because I've been places before where this question has been asked. I haven't heard this at Remedy. Some of you may have asked it, but I have not heard this at Remedy. But here's a question that I've had, have heard asked before. Why do we need to go over there when there's so much need here? And it could be a good question. There's lots of people in Rock Hill who don't know Jesus. 
Lots of people in York County that don't know Jesus. We can just say lots of people in South Carolina who don't know Jesus. And since there's so many people who don't know Jesus here, why would we put money and resources and time and all of that to go somewhere so far away that's going to take so much effort? Why would we do that? Because there's so many people here. Two things. One, most of the people I've heard ask that question aren't even doing anything here. So it's not even worth them asking. But secondly, it has a, a, false, a false understanding that it's either or. It's not either or. It's both and. Paul, in this passage, he's going through and he's saying all this stuff, and he's showing them what's been done locally is important. Paul was continually sending people back to these churches. He's getting Titus. Titus, you're done over there. What I need you to do is I need you to go here because you need to support these people. Timothy, make sure you're doing this with these people. He's showing them all this stuff. He's sending people constantly to visit, to encourage, to challenge, to do all this stuff. Paul doesn't say, okay, a church is established. Let's just leave them alone, care nothing about it. It doesn't matter. There's four people saved in that city. Good, we're done. Let's go somewhere else. Paul doesn't say it's not that and it's this. He says it's both. And what we've got to understand is as a church is it's both. It's not either or. It's not only international because if we only focused internationally and cared nothing about our city, we would be hypocrites. But if we only care about our city and not the billions of people who have no access to the gospel, who can't walk down the street and go to six different churches if they want to. They can't do that. And we can. If you don't like Remedy, I could tell you six churches within a three-mile radius that you could go to and hear the gospel. But there are people that are millions and billions who can't go somewhere to hear about Jesus. So do we need to do stuff here? Oh, yeah, we need to do stuff here. But we cannot ignore the fact that people need to hear Jesus. And we have the resources to make a dent in that. We can't ignore that. Lord, help us if we sit here and say, well, there's so much to do here. We can't go somewhere else. We have the opportunity to try. It can't be either both in. It's got to be both in. It can't be either or. So what does Paul say? Well, works amongst those who haven't heard is important. I guess you probably know that I believe that now. Paul's ambition was to go where no one had already been. Look in verses 20 through 22. Paul writes, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul sees this really, I think, from verse 21 as two issues. First one is it's an issue of lostness. Look in verse 21. He's, he's quoting the, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52, which is the uh, chapter right before what I think was the most glorious chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 53, this beautiful prophecy and picture of Christ dying for us, being broken and crushed on our behalf so that we might have life. In Isaiah 52, there's this beautiful picture. Those 
who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Paul understands that where those churches are, there's an opportunity for them to see and to hear. But there are some who've never been told. There's some who've never heard. And the fact of the matter is, Paul has already argued in the book of Romans and in multiple places all throughout Scripture, there's one way to be made right with God. It's through hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus Christ. And it's also very clear that those who do not hear the gospel and do not place their faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell apart from God. We don't like that. I don't think anybody likes that. Anybody who likes that is demented. God himself says in Exodus 33, I have no delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn to me and be healed. Paul understands the magnitude of the task, that there are people who don't know Christ and who will spend eternity in hell. But it's not just a lostness issue, it is also a glory issue. Those who've never been told will see. Those who've never heard will understand. You see, we have to be motivated and understand and be pushed forward by both of these things. There is a great need, but we have a glorious God who goes after people, people who aren't looking for him, people who aren't seeking him, who aren't listening to his voice, he comes to them. He goes looking for them. They want nothing to do with him. He doesn't care. He goes after them anyway. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? They're not looking They don't want to hear. They don't want to understand. They don't understand that the very one who could satisfy their soul beyond compare, the one that they're trying to do everything to reach, even though they don't know it, they're trying to stuff all this stuff in their life. They're trying to fill it with so many things, this idea if I'm good enough, then maybe I can make myself good enough. God comes to them and says, no, that's not true. Let me show you the truth and let me give you myself. That is an amazing thing to think that God would do that and that he would use us as the mouthpiece of that. God says, I'm going to people who aren't even looking for me and I'm going to send you to be the one to tell them of what I'm already doing. You see, because Paul looks at this, it's a lostness issue and it's a glory issue. And it's that way for us as well. God is not merely a tribal deity. He's the sovereign king over all the earth. He will turn rebels into worshipers from all corners of the earth. So where Christ has not been named today, we, we, live, in a, we live in a world that is made smaller by the internet and by television and things like that. And you can go to people who don't have electricity and running water and they've got car batteries hooked up to satellites and they can watch television from all over the world. So surely there aren't people today who haven't heard of of Jesus. Well, 
when you talk about numbers of people groups in the world, there's different ways. So what I want to tell you is if you do research on unreached people groups, you'll find different numbers. And really the reason why you'll find different numbers is because people have different ways of counting people groups. Uh, it's kind of a new idea of counting people groups. When I say new, really in the past hundred years. Uh, so your definition of what defines a people group is important. So this morning, the way that I'm going to use the numbers that I've got, it's the same way that joshuaproject.net uses. Uh, we're going to use ethno-linguistic. Uh, what that means is people who have a common ethnicity that speak the same language. Uh, so they're not, this isn't late nations by their, you know, the U.S., Mexico, Canada, that kind of nations, but the idea of nations as they have a common ethno-linguistic. They, they've got a common ethnic background and they speak the same language. Um, so this may mean they spill over countries' boundaries or that may mean it's a small group within a country. Uh, so when we pray for unreached people groups on Sunday mornings and you see this as they put the people group up and the size of them, Sometimes they're in certain countries. Sometimes they spill over to other countries. Those numbers are those who are in that ethno-linguistic group. So according to joshuaproject.net, there are 13,000 people groups in the world, 13,000 ethno-linguistic people groups. 4,000 of them are categorized as unreached, meaning they have little to no access to the gospel. Some of these people groups are as many as, as few as a few hundred, a couple thousand. Some of them are multi-million people in the people group. So what are we going to do about this? Um, our ambition as well is to see Jesus proclaimed where he's not already been proclaimed. If you've come to Remedy any time, you, you know that at the end of our service and our prayer time, every other week we pray for an unreached people group. Um, and as we got near to our five-year uh, anniversary, and we're talking about, God, where do you want us to go? What are the next steps? What do we do to the next level? Uh, Fudd and I really begin praying and asking, what is, what is our next level? Um, and we think that the next step is to go beyond what we're already doing. The next step is not simply say, we want to pray for unreached people groups. That's, that's good. I don't want to demean that. that is, we are going to keep doing that. We will keep praying for multiple unreached people groups. But what we said is if we really believe that there are people who have little to no access to the gospel and we need to be about seeing those people come to know Christ, our next step would say we want to choose one of those people groups to be our focus. So that's what we're going to do. We've talked about this a little bit in the uh, five year and then we talked about it one, year, one time in a corporate setting. So we're going to adopt one of these people groups. And this morning I want to tell you about that people group. Now, I, I want to say this on the upfront. There are some security issues that we have to consider. Um, understand that most unreached people groups, there's a reason why, part, some reason why they're unreached. Um, a lot of it has to do with geography. A lot of it has to do with political situations, uh, things of that nature. So we are going to be mindful of this as we talk about our people group and the people who are working with them. So sometimes if we're talking about them in a sermon like today and you get the podcast, uh, there may be portions that are edited out just for security reasons. Uh, that'll be the case this morning. So if you were to be listening to this podcast, some of what we're going to say this morning will be edited out. And I'll explain a little more of that in a few minutes. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce to you the Itani people. The Itani people. Um, give you a little background. What, what we did is Fudd and I, we, we were talking about this and we just began praying. We began praying and saying, God, if this is what you want us to do, we pray that you will open the doors for us to know 
who this people group is. I mean, because we could have, I mean, we could have done a couple of things. We could have just gone to joshuaproject.net and played Christian roulette and picked one and said, that's what we're going to do. But we didn't want to do that because what we wanted is we wanted this to be something where we could be intentional, where we could say, we want to pray and we want to go and we want to ask God to raise up missionaries from our own congregation to go. And we can send people on short-term trips and long-term trips, and we can partner with people and all this, and we're going to flesh all that out in just a minute. And so I simply asked Fudd, I said, do you want me to make some? He told, told me to take point on it. I kind of, Matt Mal was over our international missions. He moved into community group role, and so I kind of taken on our international missions focus now. Um, and so I just began making contacts with different people that I know around the world who work in areas where there are unreached people groups and just said, hey, look, here's where our church is. We're at the point now. We would like to adopt an unreached people group. We want to to pray for them. We want to find ways to eventually go to them. We want to be a part of reaching an unreached people group. So I made some of those connections. And um, after a while, we heard back uh, with some really encouraging news um, about this people group and some people who are trying to reach them. Uh, So what I'd like to do now is tell you a little bit about the people group. um, And then later, we'll talk a little more about the people who are trying to reach them. The Itani people group is a people group that is in the Horn of Africa. So if you look at a picture of Africa on the uh, Middle East side, there's a portion of Africa that comes out like a horn. So if you're looking at the maps on the right-hand side, it comes in the horn. So it stretches all the way from Egypt in the north to Kenya in the south and everything to the, to the uh, east of that. I got... I was looking at the map backwards because I was trying to think of how you looked at it from the, from the east. So it's a very large area, the Horn of Africa. Um, Itani is not their name. If you go to joshuaproject.net and you look up Itani people, you're not going to find anything. Uh, that's the name that we've given them in conjunction with the people who are working with them. The word Itani means fragrance or fragrant aroma. Um, and the reason why this uh, name was chosen for this people group was because the desire is that this people group would be, one, a fragrant offering to God, that their lives would be turned and be a fragrant offering. But then also, as we look in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says that Christ leads us in triumphant procession, and we are the aroma of Christ from life to life and from li- into death, for, to life to those who are in Christ, to death to those who are perishing. But we are the aroma of Christ. So the prayer is not only would they be a fragrant offering to Christ, but they would be a fragrant aroma of Christ. This people group is one and a half million people. 0.1% of them are followers of Jesus. The ones who are followers of Jesus are highly persecuted and have to flee their country many times. From what we know right now, there are no missionaries seeking to reach the Atani. From what we know, there are no missionaries seeking to reach the Atani. So imagine this, a one and a half million people, little to no access to the gospel, and from what we know, there aren't anybody that are trying to reach them. This people group is so large in their country that they touch multiple other unreached people groups. So the prayer is not only that God would move in the hearts of the Atani people, but that as he moves and causes an awakening in the Atani people, the message of the gospel would go forth to other unreached people groups 
because they become full of goodness, filled with the knowledge of the gospel, and able to teach one another. That's the desire. The hope is that these people would hear the gospel and then they would share the gospel. And they have such an impact across their country that there could be an awakening that could happen were they to come to Christ. And so the Atani people are the ones whom we have selected and we've prayed and we've said, God, would you show us who they might be? And we kind of went back and forth and weren't sure and prayed and talked and we just feel like this is who God wants us to adopt. So the Atani people is who we've adopted. And we want to take some steps to reach them. First thing we want to do is we want to pray. Not in a, you know, you know, oh, we're Christians, so we'll say we pray for somebody and never pray for them again. We want to pray. So what we're going to do is we're going to include at least one Sunday a month in our prayer time will be specifically directed towards the Atani people. We will continue to pray for other unreached people groups, but we will take one Sunday and we'll say our prayer time each time will be for the Atani people. We're going to include prayers for the Atani people in our corporate prayer time. We want to include prayers for the Atani people in our community group time. We want to pray. I was talking to one missionary, and this is what he said, that um, no church planning movement that they know of amongst Muslim peoples has ever started without concentrated prayer. No church planning movement amongst Muslim peoples has ever started without concentrated prayer. We have the privilege of being on the front end of this, on the front lines of the gospel going forth to people who most of them have never heard the gospel. We can be fighting the battle in the morning when you wake up and you're praying, when your community group gathers, when we're together as a church, we can wage war against darkness and pray for the light of Christ to shine in. Another, another missionary said, putting up this uh, praying is like putting up the sails for the Holy Spirit. It's like on a boat. When the boat puts up the sails, you can put up the sails, but unless the wind comes, it's not coming. Well, we're acting in faith. We want to put up the sails and pray that the Holy Spirit would blow and then move through the prayers of his people. But we're not simply going to pray. I don't want to bemean that or make that lower because that's highly vital. We want to send teams. And that'll look different as the years go and as strategy is developed and as opportunities arise. But we want to begin by sending vision and prayer teams. People who will go to places where they can possibly see the Atani, possibly just see where the Atani live and pray for them, see the area where missionaries will be working, and just see and pray and come back and share all that we've seen to move people to pray even more. The first test, we want to send vision and prayer teams. Our hopes, in, in, in talking to the missionaries, our hopes is that even in 2015, we'll be able to send an initial team for a vision and prayer trip. Um, I spent a couple weeks in the Horn of Africa in 2012 and spent time with missionaries who were working with different people groups all over different places. And they told us that there are times that they will have teams come in just for a year to be on the ground, praying, 
prayer walking, walking through markets, walking through villages, praying, ask the Spirit to move. And they told stories that sounded like they were reading out of the book of Acts. People seeing visions and coming to Christ. People being miraculously healed and all the glory going to Jesus. People who are being persecuted for their faith and the persecutors all of a sudden thinking that person was no longer in the room screaming at one another, where did he go? Where did he go? Because we're about to kill him. Where did he go? And they ran out of the room. The guy's just sitting right there. They all left. So he said, okay, I guess Jesus set me free. And so he walked out. And they said all of that came out of people praying over and over and over again. So we want to send teams that will be vision and prayer teams. We want, to help te- we want to send teams that will help the missionaries who try to reach them. See, when they go into the country, they go in in a legitimate platform. There's a need that's there. They meet that need. And what they can use is people who have training and skills who can come along. And they can be a resource to them on a short-term basis to come in and say, if they start micro-enterprise, well, somebody who's got business skills can help them come in. If they do health clinics, somebody who's got health skills can help them come in. If they do education, if you can talk, you can come in. All of these different things. They're going to do stuff. And then we can be a resource to say, all right, here's the need. Here's what they're doing. And some of you will say, man, I I can do that. I can go help teach English. I can go help teach somebody how to sew. I can go help do this. I can go help do this. And as you do that, what we see is that we're not only saying we're going to pray for you, but we want to partner with you. Now, one thing I want to say is I know some of you right now may be thinking, well, man, that sounds dangerous. I mean, you're, like, going to edit stuff out for security concerns. Like, have you heard about Ebola? That's in Africa. Africa's, like, the size of Pennsylvania, right? No. Africa's a whole lot bigger than the United States. Ebola ain't nowhere near there right now, so don't worry about Ebola. But can I tell you this? Yeah. It could be dangerous. It could be. So can going to Charlotte tomorrow night. I mean, we we live in this illusion of safety. That if we're near home and we've got a cell phone and there's a, a good hospital nearby, we don't have to worry about anything. Where what's more safe? To be obedient to God and do what He asks you to do? Or to just do what you think would be best for you? It may be a little bit dangerous. Any work around the world has some type of risk. More than likely, we won't be in the actual country where the Atani are. We'll probably be in a neighboring country, working with people who are refugees or people who have been forced from where they live because of whatever reason or have simply migrated. It may be dangerous, but God never calls us to safety to begin with. Our ultimate desire that the things said of the Romans would be said among them. Last thing is this. I need to get through this because I'm I'm running out of time. Partnerships for the gospel are vital. Partnerships for the gospel are vital. Paul recognizes that the work he has had in the past has hindered him. Now, not hindered in the sense of he's not been able to do anything, but his desire has been to get to Spain. 
And so he's, he's been working, he's been working diligently, he's been taking care of the things he needs to take care of, but he also understands that now that it's done, I want to get over here, but I can't do it on my own, because we see, what does he say in verse 24? I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he's, he's making it very clear, look, I'm going to Spain, I need you to welcome me, I want to enjoy time with you, and then I need you to partner with me and send me on. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be the launching pad. I want you to be a group of people who love Jesus and do what they can to send me over there. You know what? Man, I pray that God will raise up people from our midst to go be missionaries to the Atani people. And I, I believe that there will be some. Um, what I'd like for you to do, Jordan mentioned it earlier. There's a prayer card that's either under your seat or under the seats in front of you. I'd love for you to take one of those. Um, this is a, um, and then there's going to be something on the screen. If we could throw that up real quick as a background. Um, one of the things that didn't make it on the prayer card, we didn't have it in time before the prayer cards were printed. And we're going to get some, uh, some nicer prayer cards printed up. We just wanted you to have something in your hand because you can go ahead and start praying for the Atani people. There's an email address on the screen atani.people at gmail.com if you want to already say hey I want to get prayer updates I want to know how I can be praying um, send an email and just say my name is whatever your name is I'd like to receive prayer updates thank you here's the other question I've got will you go we don't have a sign up sheet today but even now would you be saying you know what I make it my ambition to go. Maybe you say, you know, I can't go. Maybe I've got health concerns. Maybe I'm in a stage of life where it just would almost be physically impossible for me to go. So what I want to do is I want to help those who are going. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this. This is a team effort. How can you do that? So how can you send people? We want to be a church that can be looked in on that says, you are full of goodness you are filled with knowledge and you are able to teach one another and then it is said and you partnered to send people to the places where Christ has not been named that's what we want to be and that's our church